0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Jesus is the source of everything and everything that we should be. And throughout the, throughout, throughout the story of the Bible, we've seen these stories of transformation. And whether that's Moses or Rahab or David and probably most significantly Paul, right? We're, we're going to look at oh, a specific portion of scripture that Paul had that he outlined what salvation looks like and what salvation and transformation look like. So in Ephesians 2, or chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So very uplifting start. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the power in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God in His, is so rich in mercy, and He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because, he, or because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ, God saved you by grace when you believed And you can't take credit for that. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Let's pray real fast. God, I just pray. That in this moment, you would show us what transformation looks like. You would show us what it means to follow you and be changed because we follow you. God, reveal that to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So this portion of scripture is basically split into three parts, right? Um, the first is like the former life in sin. That's like the first three verses of the former life in sin. The second is the mercy of God. So God is so rich in mercy. So that's the next four verses from four to seven. And then the last section is kind of like the transformation power of salvation. This is Paul's salvation theology and what it looks like going forward. So I want to line these three sections of this 10 verse text up against the man who wrote them and his story. So just for refresher, I'm going to read those first three verses that are this first section of the former way of life and sin being gone. So, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used. To live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. For us to like buy into this portion of scripture, it's, it's uh, just like last week in 1 John, we have to admit we're wrong, uh, which is uncomfortable, right? Anyone who claims to be without sin isn't of God, like 1 John last week told us. I would, I would warn each and every one of you, be weary of anyone not named Jesus of Nazareth who doesn't think they need the forgiveness of God. It's a scary place to be. I think if we're honest, we can all look at our lives and see areas where we've messed up. I can readily admit areas where I've messed up. And I think um, all of you in the room can join me in saying that you are not perfect. If we spend any time around each other, we're going to notice each other's faults. That's what community is. It's, it's living authentically together, and living authentically together generally means we mess up every once in a while, right? How many of you and your families are perfect? You're like, hey, everyone who lives in my house never does anything wrong. Yep, that's about right. <laughs> Abby jokingly raised her hand. <laughs> but yeah, that's the case. We, we don't have perfect people anywhere in the world. And we're going to know that if we live authentically with people, people are going to mess up. When we live in community, we know that nobody's perfect. But let's look at Paul's story in relation to those, those few verses. Paul grows up uh, adhering to the, the Jewish law in the strictest form possible. He's a Pharisee. And in other parts of the Bible, he outlines how he's like the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Like he, he adheres to the law in ways that no one else does. He then decides that followers of Jesus are um, heretics, that they're people that are so vastly against the will of God that he hunts them down and he tries to kill them all. And so in that attempt to round them up and kill them all, I'd say that's a pretty good example of sinning. Rounding up people and killing them is probably a decent example of what sin looks like. And I think the scary thing is it's that it's misconstrued as righteousness. And that can happen to each and every one of us. We can, we can misconstrue what the Bible says, and we march around in our sin, and it's actually what we think is righteous. And that's the scary thing. If we live a life that ends up going, oh, I'm so righteous in my, in my, in my anger or, in my, or whatever it is, but we forget the acts of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. I think sin's deceptive. Sometimes it feels like the right thing. I was a uh, Watching a movie recently, and I'm going to leave the name out for any of you who have not seen it yet. I don't want to spoil it. But I was watching a movie recently, and in it, the, the villain is hiding in plain sight. The, but the villain is advocating for peace. He's advocating for what is right. Right. But we don't see the hidden motives there. And I think sin can be a lot like that, where we're, when we're advocating for something that isn't true to the biblical definition of what good is. That's the problem, is that we hold up our own moral code and say, hey, my moral code is better than that of Jesus, than that of God. And sometimes it feels like we've got the right motives. It feels like we're doing the right thing. But it just isn't congruent with the Bible and with God. The important question to ask is, where in my life am I not living up to the standard God has already set for me? And some good ways to find that out or is just ask a trusted friend. Uh, ask or Pray to God and ask him, And I think most importantly, look to the scriptures. The thing that we miss out on so many times is that we base our theology on what people tell us and not what the scriptures actually say. In America, we have this huge biblical illiteracy problem. We don't read the Bible. We don't know what it actually says. So we inform our theology based on what talk shows tell us, what politicians tell us, what teachers tell us, whatever but we don't actually read the scripture and look at it for what it actually is what Jesus is actually commanding us to do and that's the scary thing is that we're we're informing our theology not from a trusted source if you're unsure about anything the first place you should go is the bible the bible is the authority It may not have the explicit answer to the exact thing that you are dealing with, but I can guarantee you it has a principle that can be applied to where you are in the situation you're in. Always look to the Scriptures. Always look to the Scriptures. Because it has principles that can be applied moving forward. The second section in this this text is the mercy of God. And that's basically verse 4 through 7. And it said this, But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and is seated with him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. So it takes us back to Paul's story. In Paul's story, he's on the road to Damascus to kill more Christians, right? And he gets stopped by Jesus himself. And he gets thrown off his horse and he's blinded. And then he goes to this town and there's there's a guy that helps him out and then he studies the word and he studies and sees who he is and then he goes and does his ministry, right? There's this moment in Paul's life where he sees God for who he actually is. And God questions him. He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And it changes Paul's life. He then goes on to do so many great things. But there are so many stories of God's mercy and grace in the Bible. Just look at Jacob, uh, Moses, Samson, David, and obviously the one we're looking at today, Paul. Those are like your, your childhood bedtime story greatest hits. That's what those people are. They're they're definitions of who God's grace and mercy are Jacob was a liar Moses was a murderer Samson had an issue with women David had that same issue and Paul was a murderer and that's just a few of them you know for us to fully understand mercy, we have to understand that we are wrong. <laughs> and isn't that a rough spot to be? Just like each of those guys. We have to understand that there's right and wrong. There's obedience to God, and then there's sin. For mercy to reign, someone's got to be wrong. Think with me for a second. Do we, do we consider it merciful If an innocent man isn't put in prison, is that merciful or is that justice? Justice. Innocent people don't go to prison, right? In, you know, in an ideal scenario. But the innocent people don't go to prison because that isn't showing them mercy by sending them to prison or by not sending them to prison because they didn't earn prison. But... Mercy is someone who deserves prison and doesn't get it. The unfortunate thing, just like Pastor Steve said last week, is that we have to admit that we are the ones who are wrong. And I love how that that verse, the, the chorus of that song goes. Your love is crashing over me consuming all my reckless ways. We have to admit that we have reckless ways. And that's kind of the theme of this section is that we have to admit we're wrong before we we can chase after the God who is right. But when we do admit we're wrong, it gives us a story to tell. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago. We saw in verse 7 that so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. Our testimony is an example of God's grace and God's kindness. I am the living example of God's grace and kindness. You are the living example of God's grace and kindness. And that's what we have to show the world. We have to show the world that he is, is grace and kindness. He is these things. He is mercy. And then there's this transformation in power. And that's verses 8 to 10. And God saved you by His grace when you believed. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Think about why Paul's remembered. Paul wrote half of the New Testament, basically. He brought the gospel to Greece. He brought the gospel to Rome. He covered half of the known world, basically, with the gospel of Jesus. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned. He did all these things for the cause of Christ because he was transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And if Paul had met Jesus on the road that day and not been transformed, there would be a missing section of Scripture. There would be a missing moment in, in the story of Christianity because Paul didn't live up, wouldn't have lived up to who he was. But that wasn't good enough for Paul. When he encountered truth, when he encountered God himself, he couldn't help but change. He couldn't help but change who he was. And centuries and, and thousands of years later, we talk about Paul because he changed, he was changed by who God is. We talk about Paul because he went on to do all these great things, all these things for the kingdom. We don't remember Paul as a villain, though he murdered what would be would guess hundreds and thousands of people. We remember him for sharing the gospel to places that had never been seen before. But it's it's important to remember that uh, after his encounter with Jesus, Paul isn't perfect. You know, in Romans 7, 25, he says this, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. He, he in, in other versions, it says, I, I know what I want to do, and I don't do it. I, I hate that, you know? Like he, He's like, how many of you have been in that scenario where you're like, I know the good I need to do, and I'm just not. And I don't know why, you know, I'm so angry in this moment. I don't know why I was so selfish in this moment. I don't know why I was so greedy in this moment. And in Matthew 16, Jesus says this, and Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We have to do this daily. We have to die to ourselves every day and then choose to follow Jesus. We choose to die to our sinful desires and we choose to be transformed by the power of Jesus. The other interesting thing about this scripture, and I don't know if you've ever ever thought about this in the context of where it lines up in the gospel, is Jesus tells them this story, this metaphor of the cross before he's ever been crucified before the cross is a symbol of hope. Before that, this moment where he says this is prior to his crucifixion. So so what is he telling you? He's saying, pick up the most obvious example of execution and torture that the world knows. He's saying, pick up this instrument of death and carry it with you daily. Daily. Before any of the disciples knew that he was going to raise from the dead after being crucified. And that's where we are. We've got to live in this space. We've got to live in this moment of saying, I choose to pick up the cross every day, every moment, and live like Jesus. This phrase that keeps ringing in my head since camp has been, I am not my own. I am not my own. What we see in the scripture is this, we must turn from your selfish ways. And that is the pinnacle of that statement. I am not my own. I can't live for me. I've got to live for everyone else out there. I've got to live for God. I've got to live in a way that shows God's love to everyone around me. Because it's not good enough for me to live selfishly in this world it's just not people have done it people still do it and it doesn't leave the world any better and i love in that in that passage in ephesians for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. We are a work of art. That you are brilliantly sculpted by the Creator. That you're brilliantly made by the Creator. But notice that it says, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But God creates us anew when we surrender to Him. He changes who we are when we surrender to Him. We become that masterpiece when we surrender to Him. So many of us want to be God's masterpiece before we've surrendered to Him. So many of us want... Our way of doing things and all the benefits of following Jesus without having to. That's the scary thing. We want, we want God to reconcile his gospel to us instead of reconciling our lives to the gospel. So this morning, this this transformation power is symbolized in the cross that I'm asking each and every one of you to pick up your cross. What does that look like for you? Is that greed? Is it selfishness? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it dishonesty? What is it? What is it that is your cross that you have to die to daily, the sinful desire that you have to die to daily so that you can be transformed, you can be made new, Because God doesn't want to leave us where we are. He puts far too much value in us for that. As the band comes, let's pray. God, in this moment, would you transform each and every one of us? Would you change who we are? You are the God who changes everything. You are the God who shapes everything. You are the God who does so much. God, I pray that we would submit ourselves to you. That we would fall at your feet and surrender. That we would be people who are known for surrendering to you. Because transformation comes when we fall to our knees. Because transformation doesn't happen when we hold on to ourselves. We have to pick up our cross and die daily. Because I am not my own. God, I want to pray that prayer every day. I am not my own. In your name we pray